TJ, and TJ's all over Allen. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome, everybody. We open up the locker room with Wolf and Starks on a beautiful Tuesday because any day that you get up and breathe God's clean air, man, that's a beautiful day. So welcome to yet another day as we head into Steelers football and all things Steelers related. So what a great day. Maximus, are you there, Max? Oh, I am here, Wolf. I'm excited. Uh, we just... I can't hear him, so we'll just go with that. All right, the beautiful thing is, and I, I keep forgetting because poor Max, his name is Maximilian. My son is Maximus, so I get that a little bit screwed up from time to time. So as you tune in, and we'll get better at this because, uh, you know, Max is a lot bigger than me, so I want to make sure to get his name correct, <laughs> and he's just such a good friend. So we're going to be together here talking foot Steelers football, and one of the first things – that was just so remarkable about the other day in that game. And I just, I didn't understand it. I, 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 I knew that Cam Hayward was torturing the inside triangle of that Bills offensive line. But I didn't know the degree to which Cam was getting it done. And I kid you not. I mean, I knew he was a wrecking ball in there. I knew that he was doing some real damage and destroying guys. But I didn't realize that, uh, that, that he had 12 pressures, 12 quarterback pressures, all by his lonesome. I mean, that is just phenomenal. Can you imagine? I mean, you are John Feliciano. You are, uh, uh, you are Mitch Morris, the center. Uh, you know, you are Cody Ford, the right guard. And you've got this guy, 97, who's absolutely – destroying the three of you i gotta tell you something max you in here now buddy i hope so Am oh I in here? yeah you are oh you're sounding okay. perfect oh you sound so good all yeah. right max i gotta tell you something buddy we knew we saw cam hayward getting it done at big time but did you realize that he had 12 pressures to go with his sack and all the other things he was doing uh in, in only 56 snaps listen the one thing and that's why i tried to tell you wolf uh, from the side i'm like yeah. i'm like somebody somebody needs to put a warrant out for cam because <laughs> there, there 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 was there there was there was assault that was happening just about every single play that Cam was in there where he I mean he destroyed I told you he 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 made one he made John Feliciano sit crisscross applesauce like it wasn't his turn to stand up for duck duck goose I mean that's that's about the intent level that was that was displayed and I watched it over and over again because they had no answer for him and especially on those ones I was telling you about where they went where they went kind of I'll call it a defensive overload um, for lack of better terms. Okay. I'll figure out what the actual defensive front is called. But it was two D linemen to one side, two outside backers to the other, stream slants from the D linemen coming inside, and then that wraparound loop that we talked about with Melvin Ingram, right? The slingshot mm -hmm. um, effect. That right there destroyed them because if they were going man and they looked to the right and then came back to the left and they were turning back into that slant it, you had no shot you had no shot once that up uh, once your inside shoulder is up 
and Cam Hayward could zero in on it, guess what? Bring the plow. He just would plow and create a bigger hole space and then go to the inside. It was it was it was a thing of beauty, you know, if, if you're a football fan. It's it's a, it's a thing made of nightmares, worse than Oogie Boogie from Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> um, if you're an offensive lineman, like you start you like you start having twitchy moments, you're looking for a blanket oh, yeah. to, to just curl up in a corner because Cam and I and I was talking um, this with one of my friends um, last night. I said he's heavy-handed and he plays angry. There's Good point. nothing you can do to stop what Cam does when Cam gets going. And that was something when you know when when I was teammates with Cam, like you know Cam would line up in that four technique. I'm like, oh, I already know what it is. I was like, I was like, it's it's Ironhead Junior. Yes, because he's just gonna he's just gonna put his head down and and just throw those forklifts into your chest and just start to plow back. All right, now uh, let let me jump yeah. in here, Max, because it goes to the point. You remember after Isaiah McKenzie rips off that seventy five yarder, right? The defense yeah. comes down and shuts them down. But on the third down, what we had Cam Hayward bust in there and and tip deflect the pass, knock it down, had to settle for a field goal, did the Buff Bills. But here's the point. On that play, I was watching the film this morning, and Cam hit Mitch Morse, the center, who's a large man. The man is a beef eater himself. He's 6'6", he's 305, 315, somewhere in there. He's a big man. He hit him with a two-handed shot to the chest that jolted the Morse backwards like three steps. I was, I was stunned. I mean, it's like stepping up and punching or, or giving a two-hand shot to a VW and moving the VW with a shot. That's exactly what you're talking about, that jolt to the chest that Cam can deliver. It was amazing. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. It, it's something that Cam has always had the ability to do, but it's it, it's one of those things where you're like, can a guy at this point in his career still affect the game like that? And the answer is yes, he absolutely can. And that's one, one of the reasons why you look at this front, and it's, it, it's going to be tough for them not to be a top five front. Like, health is the only X factor to prevent that because they they can get after the quarterback. They can, they can, they can slow the run game, and they have a really good secondary from what, you know, for, from what we've seen in this one game so right. far. But it, 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 it's going to be important, I think, for everybody getting into the system with all the new pieces on offense – the defense is one of those things it does travel and must travel uh, for the Steelers this season until that offense gets into a groove, right? When Until your two rookies starting on your offensive line really get comfortable. And then, of course, having a rookie tight end and a rookie running back, um, that's, a, that's a lot of pieces to have, you know, starting brand new on, on, on one side of the ball. I mean, yesterday you could say, oh, we started a nickel, um, so Trey Norwood was a starter too. For that situation but you know it still doesn't compare to having like literally 10 guys who know how to play this game and have played this game and have game film experience before yesterday or before sunday that can play it so it, it's it's really awesome to see and it, it was absolutely dominant i think i think we, we still are underplaying it because it was a monumental task to go into buffalo and mm -hmm. do what they did every single play 
Unquestionably so, Max. And I, you know, I, I got it. I, I'm still, I, I'm still stunned by that shot that Cam delivered on Mitch Morse. I mean, you know, you because it, it's funny. You called him Ironhead, which of course was he's, you know, his father was Ironhead Senior. You know, and and I, I think about the iron hand of the, the old Kung Fu masters. You know, they had the iron hand, boom. You know, the, the guy was supposedly, you know, had this iron hand that he could punch through a wall and stuff. Well, I mean, just watching Cam hit Mitch Morse and be able to drive that man backwards from the blow of two hands, you know, palms to the chest, that was really amazing. And you think 12 pressures, Max, there was 30 pressures overall as recorded by uh, Pro Football Focus, which you don't you don't need to know 30 overall. You just remember, run that reel in your head, and you see the pressures happening over and over and over again. I mean, it really was a great effort by that front four because there wasn't uh, too many blitzes that I recall. I mean, it was mostly four men up front coming after the, 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 the Josh Allen, like the hounds of the, the Sherlock Holmes, the hounds of the Baskervilles. You know, I mean, they were after him. They had his, They were on the hunt. They got after Josh Allen. I, I, I can't say enough about the tremendous job of pressure all day long. Well, I mean, you think about it. There was 55 attempted dropbacks by, by Josh Allen. And to get 30 pressures, I mean, you're talking just right under 60%. You do the math. The I flunked time. math yeah. twice, so, you know, I'll, I'll depend that, on you. That's okay. We, we just do it in the fifths. You know, a fifth is 20%, so three of those, 20, 40, 60, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, we get to about 60%. I'm just, I'm just spitballing. But, but I think, I think that, that, that's really important. When you think of that type of pressure rate, what quarterback can perform – when 60% of the time, more than half the time that you drop back, you know that you're going to be under stress and duress. Exactly. No, I don't care how great a quarterback you are. When you have that type of pressure, look what Patrick Mahomes went through in the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Under constant pressure. That's, that's what Josh Allen just experienced. No question about see, it. And you see how it turned the tide of the game. So – no, it, it was it was it was tremendous. Here's another thing that I thought was remarkable. All right, you had T.J. Watt had seven pressures. You had Mel Ingram, he got five. Alex Highsmith two. I mean, you're talking 12, 14 right there. <laughs> look at my math. I'm killing it, man. Ooh, right. Look at it, <laughs> counting, counting. There it is. Exactly. Get that man some beans right now. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what I also was watching. I saw. I mean, these guys saw a ton of chips coming at them. You know, where the back chips them, the, the the tight end chips them before they come out. They were going through a chip and the offensive tackles out there. They saw more chips than a night out at the Rivers Casino, my friend. I mean, they really went after it and, and were able to withstand the chips, the walls, whatever. And I thought their, their uh, delivery, in spite of all that, again, was remarkable. Well, and, and that's 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 the thing, right? I mean, because of the way that um, Buffalo chose to do their schematics, right? They cho- their offensive game plan. They're they're a, they're a very high eleven personnel team, right? Three mm-hmm. wide receivers in right. a lot of situations. They don't really have a lot of twelve, twenty one personnel, and so explain that to, to our our listeners: the eleven, so, and twelve, and everything. Okay, so so you always say. I always say running backs to tight ends, right? right? There you so, go. So we use so whatever the two digit number is twenty one is two backs, one tight end. 
uh, 12 would be one back, two tight ends. Um, so when you look at those, they don't have a lot of those type of personnel groupings. And especially they especially didn't, didn't depl- display them uh, when we played on Sunday. And so the defense was in a subset, which meaning it's not their base personnel because we know the Steelers are a 3-4 team, right? right. Three down linemen, four linebackers. So in this game, because there's more receivers in the game, there's less down linemen in the game. And so what we saw was a four-man front, two down linemen, two outside backers, and then usually two linebackers off the ball, Joe Schobert and Devin Bush. But on occasion, you had it where Devin Bush was out the game. It was just Joe Schobert. Um, and even at, I think at one point, Joe was out the game. So it was, it was a bunch of DBs and four down linemen. And because they were trying to go five wide, trying to go empty and really create some havoc because Devin Singletary is a very quick running back, so you could just line him up uh, out in the slot, which they did a number of times, and just have him run goes and, and run some, some deep drags. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the defense was able to do with four-man pressure more often than not was remarkable. Now they, they had a couple additional blitzes, right? You, you, had, you had some edge pressure from, from the slots, and then, of course, you had some wraparound dogs, um, which is when the linebacker um, decides decides to to insert himself into the rush, so to speak. Don't you hate when so that it's happens? Called, it's called a green dog. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? We got everything ID'd. It's clean. Why are you coming? Why are you coming <laughs> Hello, late? You're just creating more obstacles here. Let, you know, let's we don't, pile we don't them all like, up. We don't like having you in here. You know, just stay back. You're a guy that's supposed to hit past the line of scrimmage, not behind it, okay? That's the way that I look at the linebacker position. But um, but I think the, that that was one of the things that was the beauty of it, right? Because they didn't look lost. They looked actually extra comfortable in that in that four down alignment. And it was it was something that, you know, they were trying to get different ways, but they realized they couldn't affect the base of the personnel, which was the four rushers, four known rushers, we'll call them. Right. Right. However, the iteration came. And that was what the frustrating part was. Because even when they went in 3-4 a couple of times, when they were like, oh, we're going to get in big and bring in that extra lineman, right, short yardage, that's when you saw the uh, actual base 3-4 was um, was when they brought in, uh, what was his name, uh, Garrett something, um, as an extra lineman with the tight end. Absolutely. And, and they, they absolutely, you know, thumped him more often than not. No question about it. All right, that's the opening bell right here in the locker room. Wolf and Starks, we're bringing it to you. And by the way, tomorrow we're going to do our show live from Hyde Park. And I got to tell you something, Max. You should have been here for Hyde Park, baby. You know what? Listen. They got a listen to this. They got a 32-ounce Tomlin Tomahawk bone-in ribeye. I crushed it the last time I was there. I absolutely crushed it. There was nothing. If I took that 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 bone-in ribeye, the bone back to my dog, my dog would look at me and go, "What am I supposed to do with this?" I mean, that's how bad I crushed it. All right, we'll be back after this. It's Wolf and Starks in the locker room. snap he throws it down the field the pass is caught and then broken up it went into the hands of Emmanuel Sanders and James Pierre said not in my territory PBU for the young man from Florida Atlantic 
All right. Welcome back, everybody. And now for the most complete selection of Steelers merchandise from official sideline gear and authentic memorabilia to our extensive selection of jerseys and terrible towels, visit one of the official Steelers Pro Shop stores located Heinz Field, Grove City Premium Outlets, or Tanger Outlets, or visit us online at shop.steelers.com for all your Steelers merchandise needs directly from the team. All right. So, Max, we're listening to the defense to come along, and after all that hounding in the that we were talking about in the first first segment of that defensive line, you know, I, I was re- amazed because I didn't realize just how much Trey Norwood played. I mean, essentially, we had six rookies start the game, and how much he played, and what Butsy did moving him around. A little Minka magic, moving Minka all over too. Cam Sutton in and out, James Pierre. What do you say about that back end of the Steelers' defense? I mean, it, it was it was beautiful to watch because you knew that there was going to be matchup challenges. You knew that you were going to have Gabe Davis out there. You knew that you were going to have um, – I'm trying to think – Okay, sorry about that. My computer started talking to me. Uh, and everybody understand, Max yeah. Max is in Phoenix. I'm in Pittsburgh. We're doing this with Zooming. And we have little issues, although I am far less the, the techie. You understand yeah. that, okay? But, Max, I also warn you, don't make fun of me because I'm the face of your future, brother. Yeah, no, I, I don't. Trust me, I, I, I'm walking in your shoes as we speak. So, so yeah, no, there will be, there will, there will be no haymakers thrown. Um, but, yeah, the, the way they deployed, you know, having to cover Gabe Davis, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, Dawson Knox, right? Devin Singletary out in the slot, like – they, they had so many different problems schematically in the pass game. And like you said, when you don't have that truly defined nickel, right, you got to put Cam Sutton in. Right. Cam Sutton must slide inside. So, okay, who do I bring in for that role? Well, we know James Pierre is a good corner. He's not a great nickel. He's still developing into that. Arthur Millette as well. Trey Norwood. All three of them are in the, the running to fin- eventually become that nickel. But Cam Sutton's good enough that he knows how to play the slot or the inside of that defensive secondary. So you bump him in, you get guys that are comfortable. I mean, how many times I could tell you that Stephon Diggs and, you know, Trey Norwood are lining up, or if it's James Pierre having to take him off the line of scrimmage in a press situation, um, you know, was just beautiful. And Minka, Minka being, you know, up there against Cole Beasley, right? Cole Beasley's yeah. a slippery little slot guy that wants to play all the underneath stuff, and Minka shadowed him very well. And Joe Hayden, Joe Hayden's still another guy. We we always forget old man Joe is is just <laughs> he's still rocking and rolling. He had Emmanuel Sanders a lot of times um, in, in their in their scheme. So they just did a great job of really rolling through just the entire defense. We realized we also got to see the depth of this defense because you know you always wear like, man, are are we deep enough? But no, we. I mean, we are. Even though you don't have a Stefan Tuitt out there right now, um, exactly. You know, it's still positive when you think of the second level depth. Now, the only person we didn't see out of that outside linebacker core that was dressed was Jameer Jones. Um, right. There was one opportunity I thought he was going to go in, but then uh, something happened with the two minute warning. Then TJ ran back out there like, no, 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 I got this. I got this young guy. Just go ahead, sit back on the sidelines, um, and. You know, you still have Isaiah Davis and, and, uh, and oh, sorry, 
Isaiah Bugs and Carlos Davis. Yes. Yeah, I always get those two uh, mixed up. But, I mean, there's so much depth. We didn't even see Buddy jo- Johnson, really, right? We saw him on special teams. Yes. We didn't see him really in that defensive lo- alignment. But all the DBs, we got to see all the DBs. <laughs> So yes, we did. Very bright. No <laughs> very question bright about it, my friend. Guys. You know, you look at that, and he, just the Buddy Johnson. Remember, he had a, a he got in there and mixed it up and allowed uh, uh, Miles Kilbrew to slide through on that punt block. I mean, he was part of that whole uh, you know Danny Smith concoction of, of racing through there and getting the job done there. That was just outstanding. But you look at Trey Norwood, sixty-eight out of eighty-five snaps. Man, that's a lot. You know, I, I thought it was tremendous. And the thing that I – here's what I think about. You know, you always hear quarterbacks say the most important time is you break the huddle, you got that seven-yard walk to the line of scrimmage or a few yards less if you're in shotgun, and you look and you start reading from the safeties, you know, to the second-level guys, to the front. And you that's how they read. Now, if that defensive front is you've got – all linebackers on one side, like sometimes they did, and all heavy hoofers on the other side. And then you look up and you see, well, what's where's Cam? Is Cam in the slot? Is Cam on the outside? Where's that number? Is Minka? Where's Minka? Oh, well, you know, where are these numbers? You know, all the numbers are changing positions. And then just before the snap, you've got those guys up front start shifting back into a normal setup, and it, it creates a lot of shiny things again that the quarterback's got to acknowledge and slow down some of his thought processes. Well, it slows him down. It also slows your center down, right? Because how you how you determine uh, what we call the, the side strength, right? You're all, that's where the mic is located. He's located to the strong side. Well, when all that starts shifting, you know, 93 becomes 55. Or Melvin Ingram backs up. Now, okay, we have the ID 8, so now I need to bring a guard over here a little bit further. But then he's twisting. And then they're moving after the snap. They move before the snap. They move after the snap. All these little numbers that are that are flirting with the line of scrimmage as well, just right. around you. You're like, man, this window dressing sucks right now. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, we, we had a call when, when I played, you know, and, and it was one of the things that – if I wasn't sure about who the most dangerous man was, or mm-hmm. we called him MDM, I would just say sugar, sugar. So what sugar meant was, you know, it was more often than not that Chris Kibayatu, because Chris, Chris was always happy for a sugar call because he hated having to remember who he had to block. So <laughs> I, I, Big I would juicy. say sugar, sugar, and we would just take two steps off the line of scrimmage pre-snap and then figure out how the, how they come. So he'd give us a, an extra second to ID the rushers. I see. So so that was something that we utilized. Now, obviously, I don't know how that would have worked if they were in man. They looked like they had a couple of slides in there that just got destroyed um, on their protections. But it was it was a funny time. Well, it was interesting, too, because sometimes they would threaten the A-gaps, you know, the double-barrel A-gaps, get up there, and you got a guy hanging in there, and then you try to get a squeeze call, which shortens the corner because now everybody takes their inside gap squeezes down then the back has to pick up the man to the outside which puts a big guy like Alex Highsmith or puts a big guy you know like Mel Ingram or TJ Watt on a little guy that's what you like to be able to do create a little more of a mismatch than it would be normally and um, you know I just thought the fact that you were able to move the chess pieces around so much this early in the season I mean normally you know Defense is kind of that you find the people that can fit 
the roles as you move along. But it's like they've already got a good idea of the chess pieces they got to play and where they, they can use them best. Well, I think the biggest advantage was, right, four preseason games. Good you know, point by you. that came in. Yeah, you, having four preseason games where they're playing a majority of because you have your known starters out. Like, T.J. Watt is not playing. Right. So you had a really good chance to look between Jameer Jones and Quincy Roche to figure out which one is going to fit this group better because they got a lot of pass rushes on film. Trey Norwood played early and often in the preseason. James Pierre as well. Arthur Millette. Like, you had all of these guys playing extended amount of snaps that you normally wouldn't get in a normal preseason game. So because of that, that created those opportunities. Just like, I, you know, look, looking at Davis and Bugs, right? Because Stephon Tuitt wasn't, wasn't available and Cam Hayward wasn't playing. So guess what? Those guys got a lot of burn. So it, I think it really accelerated their maturation and what this defense could do because you had them playing a lot more than you'd expect. And that is going to really benefit these guys as we move forward because their rookie year, really, they got a bunch of film in there to figure out this this uh, this Pittsburgh offense and defense to really give them a leg up because we knew we were going to have to depend on them, right? Because we knew we were replacing so many guys that you had to make sure that these guys had enough reps and they felt comfortable enough about what they were going to ask them to do. Well, think about this. Now you got 85 snaps by the Buffalonians, okay? So you got T.J. Watt comes out, and we know he's on a snap count, but he went 69 snaps. I mean, you know, you think about this. This is a guy that the, I, the, now I guess the, the, the way to do things is <clears throat> no more holdouts. You're going to have a hold in. You know what I mean? You're going to report, yeah. but you're not going to practice. Okay. Uh, this is a new new one on me because this didn't exist back in the 80s and 90s. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, this is what you do. And obviously he spent that time doing what he needed to do to be in shape, to be ready. And one of the things I, I, I learned after the fact was, you know, he wasn't happy with his performance last year against Buffalo, that being the Watt, okay? So what's he do? He, he, he can't watch practice film. There's nothing to watch. He's not on tape. You know, he gets his conditioning. Well, he watches the, the Buffalo tape over and over and over again, and he watches Daryl Williams, and he sees this guy get, you know, his feet parallel. He sees this guy turn towards the sidelines, invite him up the field. Um, I'm thinking to myself – TJ, you know how it is. You get yourself all juiced up for a guy. You're like, okay, I want to even the score. I would say TJ more than even the score. Would you not? I would say he stole the set if we're talking in tennis. (laughs) When did you play tennis? When do you play tennis? When do you play tennis? I watch a lot of tennis. I watch it. I don't play it. My My daughters play tennis. I watch this. My wife even has le- takes lessons, but I watch tennis because I'm not getting out there. I tried the ball machine once, and it, and I, I I thought I was getting bombarded like a paintball match. So I I don't do the ball machine, but I watch my I watch my kids and I watch you know tennis, and and that that's one of the things that sticks in my mind, right? You know, right. You're down and you try you have to flip the script, you have to break serve, and you have to try and steal that set, and. TJ stole the set. Yes, he might he he might have given up. He he might have had lost six four the previous time, but that one he 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 won at six two and advantage him because what he was able to do the pressure that he created and and the other thing is he's unorthodox in his in his stance when he's in a three point yes right 
the butt's a lot lower. Yep. And he, and his head is up, so he's looking. So when he comes out, it's more in a stalk position as opposed to an explosive up the field type of position. So he's able to see a lot more, and it gives him more array of moves available to him. I can't predetermine his move set if I'm a tackle because normally I can say, okay, hand down, inside foot back. Okay, yep. he must make a move on an even number of steps, two, four, six. Outside foot back, one, three, five. And so that's what that's what really makes it really challenging when you're going up against TJ Watt. He did a great job of mixing it up. Excellent. More observations come up because I Max is just getting warmed up, folks. All right, it's Wolf and Starks in the morning. Here yet? (laughs) In the (laughs) locker room. We'll be back after this. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back. It's Wolf and Starks in the locker room, and we're about to welcome in our good friend Bob Labriola, Steelers Digest editor, Steelers.com contributor, and Steelers historian, all things Steelers related. Uh, Welcome, Bob. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm pretty good, Wolf. I do want to start off this new season with a question for you. Uh-oh, how many uh-oh. Chi- how, how many chicken wings had to give their lives over the weekend <laughs> with, you returning, with you returning to Western New York? I'm sure, I'm sure you have a couple of uh, establishments that uh, if they ever had an all-you-can-eat wing night when they saw you walking in the door, they'd try and go out of <laughs> Well, the interesting thing would be probably how many did Max contribute also because the two of us together, we can rock some wings, can't we, Max? Oh, no question. I have not met a chicken wing that I didn't like. Uh, I've tried a lot of them I found one that, I, that I didn't like. So, no, I definitely put them away after you guys left. Uh, I went back to my room. I, I had a moment of silence for the fallen uh, chickens, <laughs> and, the, and then I ate about 30 chicken wings. So, there yeah. you go. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. Now, now, Labs, tell me what you were thinking going into Buffalo, and what do you think now on the other side of it? What was the whole experience like for you? Well, I mean, um, through, this, this has been kind of what I've thought throughout this whole process. I mean, starting back when, uh, you know, Free agency started, and I, you start to see how you know the Steelers uh, were approaching that part of it. Uh, once the situation with Ben was stabilized and settled, uh, then you turn your attention to the draft. Okay, um, I've, I've thought all along that you know some of these predictions uh, for losing records and finishing third in the division and all of that. I thought that were you know a little bit dire, even for someone like me who lives in his fears. Uh, I, I I don't see you know a Mike Tomlin team imploding, um, and so you know they didn't even that didn't even happen uh, when you lost your franchise quarterback six quarters into the uh, 2019 season. So I thought this team could compete. Um, uh, the depth in some areas concerned me, but once 
you know, uh, gone into the preseason and, you know, Joe Schobert was added and uh, I got a chance to see what Melvin Ingram was about. Um, we saw the draft picks. You know, I, I thought that this team could compete. Now, I, I do acknowledge that um, I wasn't uh, chalking up the game in Buffalo against the Bills in the win column right away. But, I mean, there were scenarios uh, in my mind that I, I thought that, that the Steelers could come out of there with a win. And I certainly did not see, you know, the Bills hanging a 34-10, to 10, you know, or something on the Steelers uh, in the opener either. So, um I don't think that my I won't I won't I will say my mind wasn't changed by what happened, but let me say that some of the things that I hoped or believed could be possible uh, were confirmed to some degree by what happened. And Bob, just in in my mind, like one of the most intriguing things was T.J. Watt was was the hold in and did not <laughs> participate at all in the preseason. But yet, game one, week one, contributes 69 plays. When we knew he was on an active probably pitch count, right? Because you just signed this deal. You haven't played. You, you know, everybody in the NFL is worried about guys getting injured, da-da-da-da, doing too much, uh, too soon back. And he comes out and he plays as though this is, this is week 10 of, uh, of the season and is in midseason form already. Yeah, let me say this, Max. I mean, um, uh, you know, the way the league goes now, you know, and it's not just quarterbacks anymore who play hardly at all uh, in the preseason. I mean, I don't know. Did Aaron Donald play at all in the preseason? Teams don't um, teams don't use guys in the preseason like they used to, you know, in the olden days. Um, <laughs> even Max, yeah. no, I mean, even Max, when you were a player, which was, you know, long after Wolf was a player, um <laughs> Well, in the dress rehearsal, I mean, you'd play maybe up to a half, right? And now, I mean, before, like, uh, you know, in the Chuck Noll days, the dress rehearsal was, you know, three quarters for sure, sometimes into the fourth quarter. Uh, And then you'd come back the next week and play a little bit in the the last preseason game. So I didn't really know that T.J. Watt would have played a bunch of snaps in this preseason if he signed his contract on April 2nd. Um, uh, you know, I just, it, it was something to talk about and Hey, you know, everybody, uh, he's got a lot of cyberspace to fill and, you know, airwaves to occupy in the off season too. Uh, so I get it, but I just didn't see the, 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 really the reason for all of the angst about TJ Watt not, uh, participating in team drills or playing in the preseason games, especially if you were at you know, training camp and watched what he was doing. I mean, it wasn't like he was sitting on the side eating Twinkies, you know. Um, so uh, the guy, he has that, um, I don't know, call it an old soul maybe or, you know, whatever. But, I mean, he approaches his his profession uh, like a much older man than he is. Um, and so, you know, he wasn't wasting that time. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I thought really what Mike Tomlin said in the in the last in his last news conference before the game. He said, "You know, I've been around these guys long enough to know that they are not normal, and they're not. I mean, that's why you know they gave him that contract. That's why he played to the level of that contract. This guy, you know, is a special special player and person who and the way he approaches his profession. So I wasn't really surprised by that. And I even thought 
you know, you guys have been through training camps. He had fresh legs, right? Right. Yeah. No question. Now, I mean, now the, this game and the next game, you know, maybe he's feeling it a little bit, you know, a little stiff, you know, getting out of bed here and some, you know, creaking in the old quads and the glutes <laughs> and stuff. Um, but, you know, for the first time out, you know, I won't say it was an advantage, but I didn't think it was going to be as big a disadvantage as it was being portrayed by a lot of people. Labs, as a guy who's really the resident historian of the Steelers franchise, uh, I, I got to ask you. Hey, you Max. Go- hey, Max. <laughs> oh. This is how yeah. Wolf gets in how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, baby. Touche. <laughs> okay. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> All right. I I cannot ever r- really in my gourd, you know, six rookie start. I mean, basically it was six rookie start. You got the punter, Presley Harvin. You got Trey Norwood, which I, you know, didn't foresee. Dan Moore Jr. at starting at tackling. Kendrick Green. You got uh, Pat Fryermuth and Najee Harris. I mean, that's a lot of rookies, especially going into a very hostile environment in Buffalo. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I will say the, the only one, and I won't say he doesn't count because he absolutely does, but the decision for the defense to open, you know, in the nickel, that, that made Trey Norwood a starter, which mm. he might not have been had they opened in a different package. But, you know, again, um, the way it works is if you're on the field for the first play of offense or defense, you're considered a starter, you know, in that particular game. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, the offensive line thing, you know, Wolf, I, you're, you guys will see Max now, too. Boy, again, once again, I'm getting double teamed uh, here. <laughs> off the line of it just continues, but, my friend. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, you guys can speak to this a lot more. But, I mean, to me, after you watched last year, why wouldn't you think that you had to do a lot of changes along the offensive line? True. Um because yeah, uh, status quo just it, it just wasn't working. I mean it 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 just wasn't. So um, in in that respect, I won't say that I was surprised that they started two rookies or that you know four of the guys were pretty much four of the five were pretty much um, new full time starters. With Chooks being the only guy who would be qualified as a full time starter at the same position from last year this year. Um, what I was surprised about a little bit was how well those guys dealt with that hostile environment yes um uh, now i don't remember was was there wasn't a false start penalty was there i do not recall one i don't i don't either so um you know kudos to them uh for that oh wait a minute didn't juju have one right yeah yeah we're not talking about the inside guys though the inside guys that rock solid you're right on bob right so um you know kudos to them um for as both you you use this term, holding your water. Yes. Um, so, uh, but I think the last time that there was even a, a close to this uh, number of new starters would have been back in the early 70s when, you know, and I'm talking about even pre-Franco Harris, 70, 71, those years, <laughs> when Chuck had the big broom out, you know, and he was just looking for uh, guys to replace guys who were on the roster that he just didn't believe were good enough uh, to get the team where he wanted to get the team. So, um, yeah, it's surprising a little bit. But, again, like I said, if you look at 2020 and how it unfolded and how it ended, and then um, when you understand that the Steelers are a franchise that traditionally believes in the draft as its primary method of roster building, you know, 
and the, and then add on the fact that the cap went down because of COVID, um, you know, you kind of looking back on it. Let me say this now in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense that there would be a lot of rookies. Um, but at the time, you know, if on June 1st, you told me the Steelers were going to start six rookies against Buffalo, uh, the Bills in Buffalo, what do you think the score is going to be? Mm. I might have gone with that 34 to 10. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, uh, those guys, every one of them, I thought uh, acquitted themselves very well in, in a lot of the um, – you know, non-Xs and Os things, because I really can't evaluate that. But, you know, in terms of being on the field when they were supposed to be on the field, um, not jumping off sides, not being uh, false starting, not all of those things. It didn't seem to me on defense either that there were a lot of blown assignments. You didn't see receivers running free, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So a lot of those young guys, yeah, kudos to them. And, you know, kudos to Kevin Colbert and his people for identifying players who – showed quickly that you know they could they could hang in the in the National Football League. Jacob, do we have time for another question or do we got to go to break? Okay, we got to go to break. Thank you so much Labs. Appreciate you. The first Thanks, one Bob. on Tuesdays in it's, it's it's we we got it in the in the books. Thank you so much for joining us Labs. Appreciate you, brother. Thank- you're welcome. We'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Sounds good. That's Bob Labriola, Steelers Digest editor and uh, Steelers historian. Yes, because he's been around a long time, which means Labs is as is, is old as I am. So there you go. Take that. We'll be back with more. It's Wolf and Starks in the locker room.